We're going to be in Psalm 23 today. Let me encourage you to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. <clears throat> Psalm 23. Uh, it's, it's said to be by lots of folks one of the most popular Psalms and maybe even the most memorized passage or bulk of Scripture uh, ever. I don't know if that's true because I don't know how, where, where you actually find that information out uh, to be certain about it. But that's, that's one of the things that's said. Um, but, but Charles Spurgeon of Psalm 23 called it the pearl of the Psalms. So he recognizes how it stands out among the Psalms. Another preacher, J.J. Stuart Perrone, and I don't know who this guy is, but he, he said something that I thought was helpful to, to think about as we study Psalm 23. He says, there is no Psalm in which the absence of all doubt, misgiving, fear, and anxiety is so remarkable. Derek Kidner, one of the guys that I'm actually reading from, as I study through this, he, he writes, depth and strength underlie the simplicity of this psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacently. There is readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax reveals a love which homes towards no material goal but to the Lord himself. I love those words, the explanation. And, and I think you'll see that as we read through it. You'll see how... how how darkness is there, the undercurrent and the reality of imminent, imminent attack is there, uh, but, but there is so much peace and confidence expressed in this psalm. One of my favorites, though, was Matthew Henry. This is what he wrote about this psalm in, in preparing to, to write his comments on it. He, he writes, many of David's psalms are full of complaints, but this is full of comfort. And it, it, it is so true. So, so as we read, study it now, I, I pray I, that, that, that you'll know the comfort belonging to, to, to this psalm and, and really to the, to, the, to the shepherd that it points us to. So let's read, we'll pray, and then we'll dig in. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father... I do. I would just ask that, that we would have a just some measure of the comfort that's expressed in, in this psalm. That we would know that today. That we would experience it. That we feel it. That that we would be filled by it. And that that would last into tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. That knowing that as we walk. Your goodness and your mercy are always with us. Help us now, I pray, not just hear a psalm and and think on a psalm that we've heard or read or even memorized, but just to hear you speak, teach, and lead us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I I wanted to study this psalm this week uh, following on after Psalm 8 because Psalm 8 is a psalm that is, I, I mean, it was all about the majestic glory of God. It was, it was putting God in this place of, of prominence and preeminence. It was exalting and recognizing the exalted nature of who God is and, and how God works. And it was just, just this high, big view of God. 
And it was so compelling, so, so big and so majestic and so glorious a view of God that David is compelled in the middle of the psalm to ask the question, well, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, thinking on who God is and what God's done? He couldn't help but ask that question. And then we, we, we move to this psalm and we look and, and, and see that, that this amazing, majestic, glorious God on display in his tender and intentional personal care for his people. So, so, so we're not getting an answer to what is man that you're mindful of him. What we're getting is a view into God's mindfulness and care of man in this psalm. This majestic, glorious God caring and, and taking care of man. And it starts with this profound and surprising even opening phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I think probably most of us, I, it, it's happened to me, it happened to me until I began reading this regularly and thinking on it. I, I assume it may happen to some of you that those words are so familiar that we read that phrase as if it's just this phrase and it doesn't have the Lord is my shepherd. Now we're going to get into what the meaning of the psalm is and what, what he has to write about. The Lord is my shepherd. But if we just stop and consider that for just a moment, the Lord is my shepherd. We look at, at, at that verse, and, and, and I mentioned this last week in Psalm 8. When we come to the, the capitalized Lord, when, it, when, it's, when, it, when most English translations, when they capitalize the whole word Lord as this is capitalized, that's indicative of the fact that that's God's proper name. That's the covenant-making God. It's the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt, who who who, who split the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry ground, who defeated the most powerful army of their day. It's this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. It is the majestic God who created all people and, and, and created all things in heavens and on earth. It's the majestic and glorious God who not only made people but placed people in the right order. It's that God that we looked at last week, that majestic and glorious God that is made, be, being, being pointed to here. And that God, Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how you think it should be said, is my shepherd. The stark contrast that's this, this is on display there. Now, I, I appreciate the words from James Montgomery Boyce, who, who saw this and, and called it out and, and wrote on it. He, he says, the name literally means, I am who I am. It is an inexhaustible name like its bearer. Chiefly, it refers to God's timelessness on the one hand and to his self-sufficiency on the other. Self-sufficiency means that God needs nothing. He needs no wisdom from anyone else. He has all wisdom in himself. He needs no power. He is all-powerful. He does not need to be worshipped or helped or served, nor is he accountable to anyone. He answers only to himself. On the other side of this amazing combination of ideas is the word shepherd. Shepherds had to live with the sheep 24 hours a day, and the task of caring for them was un. Ending day and night, summer and winter, in fair weather and foul, they labored to nourish, guide, and protect the sheep. Who in his right mind would choose to be a shepherd? Our God did. 
These are his inspired words. David wrote them, but God inspired them. David sees God as a shepherd because God says, I'm your shepherd. Our God, majestic, glorious, high above the heavens, has condescended to be a servant to us. Think about that. The Lord is my shepherd. But let, let's, let's not miss that third point of contrast. My. David, and, and, and by extension all of God's people, and that, that means us, are his sheep. We are everything that God isn't. We are not self-sufficient. We are in need of wisdom and power and protection we, we are in need of, of someone outside of us helping. If left to themselves, the domesticated sheep don't survive. They're at risk of being eaten by predators and, and, and prone to wandering. Tell me that doesn't describe God's people if left to themselves. In 2015, I, I, I once referenced this and I wasn't sure if it was really true. Uh, and had gone out and looked for it, and, and, and I was thinking on it again. And in, in 2015, Fox News published a story about 450 sheep that died because they followed the lead sheep. They were left shepherdless and followed the lead sheep off a cliff. It, was, it happened in Turkey. So, so these Turkish shepherds were responsible for a community's sheep. There's like 1,500 sheep, maybe a little more. There's like 1,500 of them, and these shepherds decide, well, we need to go have breakfast. So they leave the sheep without a shepherd. They go and have breakfast. And when they come back, 450 are at the bottom of a cliff dead because they followed the leader off of the cliff. The, the story goes, the story says that all 1,500 went off the cliff. But as the pile of sheep began to pile up at the bottom of the cliff, the ones at the back of the line, they're fall was softened at the bottom, and they didn't die. But they found the flock, having followed the leader off the cliff. This is what domesticated... I I know there's wild sheep out in the world. We get that. We understand that. But domesticated sheep need a shepherd. If not, they are prone to wander. They'll, they'll, They'll follow someone to their death. David's reason for writing is is that he, he, he has come to understand that he has a shepherd, and it is the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the majestic and glorious God who created him, who placed him in the order of creation, and who is now mindful of him. And how does he take care of me? David says he takes care of me as if he's my shepherd and I am his sheep. So, so, so brother, sister, Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who provides, protects, fulfills promises, and is always present with us. Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who provides, protects, fulfills promises, and is always present with us. The God of the heavens, the one who created and sustains all things, the one who ordered all things, he has determined to condescend to serve us, to act for our benefit and for our good. This is, this is not because we deserve it or have earned it. This is who God is. I was talking in uh, our equip class this morning. There's a, one of the studies we're doing is on the attributes of God and, and, and considering who he is. Uh, we, we often will describe him 
according to four G's and, and encompass all of his attributes in, in four G's. God is great, God is glorious, God is good, and God is gracious. And in, in some way that, that encompasses all the other attributes, even though we might be more specific. God is great, he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's, he's ever-present, he's all-knowing, he, he is over all things. He's creator, sustainer, he's the one who has all authority and who has all power. And God is glorious. All of those things about God's greatness are true just because they are who God is. But God's in his glory. If you remember from last week, the definition we used is the going public of his infinite worth, the going public of his infinite perfections. God is glorious means that he is made known in all the world that he is great. We know God is great because God has made his greatness known. This is his glory. It's the revelation of his greatness. God is good. Everything about him is good. There's no bad. There's no shifting shadow, no evil or in him. All he does is good. And to the very core of his being, he is good. He's the very standard of goodness. He's good through and through. And if we stop there, we don't think any further about who God is. And don't, and don't look at this fourth attribute or fourth description of his attributes that should absolutely terrify us because God is everything we aren't he is great he is glorious and he is good and we aren't we're subject to his power whether we submit to him or not we are Worshiping things far less glorious than him every day. And we aren't good. What do we deserve from him? What's the right thing for a good, glorious, and great God to do to those who would reject him and seek to live apart from him? But there is one more little G descriptor. God is gracious he doesn't deal with us his people according to what we deserve there is no obligation in in his treatment of us there's that we are undeserving of it we couldn't earn it nor pay him back and yet god still in his grace condescends to use all of his greatness all of his glory all of his goodness to serve us and be a benefit and blessing to us rather than condemn us and destroy us. David recognizes God's gracious work toward his people as he calls him the shepherd. Many commentators on this passage, this psalm, they come to the place where they say, well, you know, that's just one view of God we get is that the Lord is our shepherd. We come to the end of verse 4 and begin moving into the second half of the psalm and we see God as a host or, or God as a companion rather than, rather than simply as a shepherd. And, and I appreciate why people would perceive that because, you know, sheep don't, sh- sheep don't sit up tables and sh- sheep don't uh, dwell in houses, right? I, I get why they're concerned about that. But I think that's pushing too hard on what is metaphor and what is analogy and what is an illustration that's supposed to help us see how God leads, protects, provides. He leads, protects, and provides like a shepherd, not of literal sheep, 
but of his people that he treats as a shepherd treats his sheep. And so, so this is, I think, what David is getting at. Looking at his life, considering who God is, looking at his own life, he thinks he can't help but see all of who God is resting on this one point. He has been good and gracious to me. He's my shepherd. And, 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 and who would know better? David, who is himself, or was at least, at one point, a shepherd. Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who provides all we need. The Lord is our shepherd and he provides all we need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, David says. This is not a promise that God's going to give us every, everything our sinful little hearts can desire, right? It's not, a, it's not a promise that we will all be rich and fulfilling and, and attaining to some, to, to some worldly view of success. This is more a statement of, of the fact that we won't be left in need. Instead of focusing on what we still want in our sinful hearts... It's focusing on what God has already provided and what God is already doing. David focuses on the abundance of what God has already done and what he continues to do. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. God provides us rest. It's in him that we find the sincerest and and, and, and truest forms of rest. I I remember going back... um, in, in our series through Hebrews and thinking on how Jesus is our Sabbath rest and considering how we find rest in him. And, and I, in that time, I don't know that I even use this in the sermons, but I remember in that time thinking, man, we look for days off, we look for vacations, we, 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 we look for ways to get away. And then we come back from those things and we're exhausted and we're tired and we're, we're, we thought, oh, I'm going to go take vacation, I'm going to get rest, I'm going to take this day off, I'm going to get rest. When the reality is, if we are not walking with the Lord, there is no rest in anything else. The Lord provides us rest. And you may take time off, and you may do nothing in that time off. And you may lay on a couch and veg out, but, but you will come back still tired and exhausted if you are not walking with the Lord. He provides us rest. He, he, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He provides sustenance for our lives. Not the, not the dead grass, not the weeds, green pastures. There's sustenance, there's lushness, there's, there's something that's good for us in that. He leads me beside the still waters. He provides leadership and guidance. We, we don't know what tomorrow holds, do we? No, we, I, we can get on the weather app and we can figure out, oh, is it going to rain tomorrow? How often are they right? I mean, right now, it's easy to, describe, to, to determine what the weather's going to be. It's a massive heat wave that's coming through, and it's high pressure. It's pushing. Okay, it's not going to rain tomorrow. It would be funny if it rained tomorrow. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I rode out on my motorcycle, came to work on my motorcycle thinking I'm good, got here and got rained on on the way home. And I check the weather every day because I don't like to get rained on. It just is. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We have an idea. We can have a sense. We can, we can make some logical conclusions. But we can't be certain about what's going to happen tomorrow. We cannot know, but we know the one who does. 
He leads us. He guides us. It's his wisdom. It's his knowledge. It's his foresight. The one who exists outside of time is shepherding us. He's leading us. And where is he leading us? Besides still waters. A place to drink and find refreshment. The picture of peace and calm. If the lying down in the green pastures doesn't convey it, the still waters certainly do. It's in Him that we find sustenance and rest and peace and guidance. He provides these things for us. And and, and in many ways, we could approach these completely as a a physical provision, like God giving us food, God giving us water, God giving us the rest our bodies need. We can absolutely look at these in a physical way. But but I think David's intent is not just to see the physical sustenance, although it's there, but not alone. He wants us also to see the spiritual reality. He restores my soul. God isn't just concerned about what you deal with on a day-to-day basis. He's concerned about the depths of your soul. He's concerned for your spirit. So yeah, he, he, he takes care of his sheep and gives us food and gives us rest and gives us leadership and gives us, us water to drink and provides peace for us so that we can walk in the world in a physical way. But he restores our soul. So that we can look towards the end of that psalm and know that that's about us too. That we will dwell in his house forever. He leads us in paths of righteousness. They are right according to his righteousness. They're good according to his goodness. They're, 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 they're pleasing in his sight. Now, I, I, we, we live in a world that's always determining what's good, right? Like, if it, it, it feels good, it must be good. If it's not hurting anyone else but me, then then it's okay, right? Like it, we, 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 we build ideas of goodness and rightness based on our limited, fallen, simple perspectives. He leads us in the paths of righteousness according to his namesake, according to what he says is righteous, according to what his standard of good is. And ultimately, we also see in that, in that little phrase, we see that this according to his goodness, according to his righteousness, but also for the glory of his own name. He leads us in paths of righteousness so that we live to his glory because that's what's good for us. It, he, he doesn't, he's, he's not limiting us. He's not trying to keep us from having fun in the world. He's not some kind of, kind of cosmic killjoy. He's leading us in such a way that, that he enables us to live to his glory because he knows that's what's best for us. For us, that's what sustains us. That's what gives us strength. That's what feeds us. That's what gives thirst or, 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 or quenches our thirst. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for those reasons. He comforts us, it says. He provides leadership in righteousness. He provides uh, uh, comfort for us as he leads us. When surrounded by evil, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he do? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me and your rod and your staff. What do they do? They comfort me. When surrounded by evil on every side, we can still know comfort. He prepares a table before us. At at, at every point, God is working and we are the beneficiaries of his good work. The Lord is our shepherd. 
Who is this God that doesn't demand that we serve him and and, and meet his need, but instead shows us his his divine and sovereign authority and power being used to bring benefit and blessing to his people? It is the God who says, I am your shepherd. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God isn't providing just a little trickle of these things. Uh, there's, a, there's a place down in Arkansas. It's uh, called Hendon Hollow. It's at the, at the base of this uh, uh, cliff. And, and, and during the rainy, rainier seasons of the year, you can go down, and, and there's this beautiful waterfall. So it's like one of the tallest waterfalls on the continental U.S. I can't remember exactly, but it's beautiful. I mean, you can go in, you walk into this horseshoe canyon, and, and you see the beauty of God's creation on every side, and there's this beautiful waterfall. But in the dry season, when you go in the middle of the summer, when it's not been raining a lot, man, you go, and it's just a trickle. It's just dribbling, you know. I saw what God's doing. It's like Niagara Falls coming from God's blessing for us. It's like flowing, nonstop. It would, it would bowl us over if not by his good grace leading us through it, right? Our cup overflows. There's abundance. There's, there's plenty. There's so much to be had. We'll never run dry. It's a picture of, of provision that, that says there's more than enough. And in it we can find contentment. Listen, so, so, so many of us make ourselves so busy scurrying around, seeking God's blessing. Rather than just living in it. So, so many of us scurry around thinking, oh, we need to accumulate wealth. We need to accumulate stuff. We need to try to get enough. We need to, we need to find a way to find God's blessing in this world. We're missing the fact that the Lord is our shepherd and he has blessed us so abundantly. He has provided for us so abundantly. But we live in a world that doesn't know this. It's what they run after. Our majestic and glorious God is is determined to provide for us in abundance. Our lives should look radically different than those who don't know his blessing. Spurgeon, drawing on the wisdom of a a guy who came long before him, a, a guy named John Hull, he wrote a book called Lectures on Lamentations back in 1619. And from that book, Spurgeon writes, or, or, or quotes, Let them say that will, my lands shall keep me. I shall have no want. My merchandise shall be my help. I shall have no want. Let the soldier trust in his weapons and the husbandman into, unto his labor. Let the artificer say unto his art and the tradesman unto his trade, and the scholar unto his book, these shall maintain me, I shall not want. Let us say with the church as we both say and sing, the Lord is my keeper, I shall not want. There's nothing in the world that's going to provide the abundance and benefit and blessing that our Lord, who is our shepherd, has provided for us. That's where we begin to recognize the rest and the peace, and the comfort. That's when we can join David and sing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who provides our every need.
Take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who, who protects our path. We've, we've already hit on it. We've already touched on the verse, but let's just look again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We, we've seen the Lord providing here. We've already seen how he's bringing comfort. But, but here's this, this beautiful way in which he, he's saying, besides still waters... <laughs> Uh, um, um, the laying down in, in green pastures and without skipping a beat, without taking a breath, without the word Selah that says there's a moment of silence here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These things are happening all at the same time. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we're pulling up to a table in which the God has provided for us in abundance. The Lord's leadership, he, in, his, in the Lord's leadership, he protects his people. He guides us through this valley. He is with us in it. He, he leads us through it. And he's preparing a table for us in the midst of it. Again, Spurgeon, so helpful here. This from his own words, the treasury of David, he writes, Someone said that when there is a shadow, there must be light Someone, uh, somewhere, and so there is. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is light beyond. And we're in a valley for a little while. And there's a shadow that's cast. But shadows have boundaries, right? Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Let us not therefore be afraid. This God who is our shepherd and who has provided so abundantly is protecting us as he leads us in the paths of righteousness, as, as he leads us beside still waters, as he uh, makes us to lie down in green pastures as we traverse through this valley of the shadow of death. Our God protects us. There is no reason to fear evil. He is preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He is at work for our good. There is nothing to fear. So Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who protects our path. And Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who fulfills his promises to us. I love the way this psalm lays out God at work and David or God's people being the recipient, the beneficiary. And David's confidence over and over, I shall not want, I will fear no evil, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, over and over is rooted in the work of God. Over and over is God who is doing this work and David is benefiting from it. From, from it. The scripture's clear. God always fulfills his promises. We can look back and, say, and look at Noah's life. I, I don't know what it was like for Noah. I, I mean, I have a view of the scripture. I have an understanding of, of what it is to live in the world. And, and, and I can only imagine what it's like for Noah on, on, in a place where it's never flooded to, to need a boat the size he's being told to build. And he's got to build a boat. Imagine what that's like. Tell me that's not countercultural. I mean, no, what are you doing? You're nuts. You heard someone tell you build this boat and this is what you're building? I, I, I don't know exactly what, what he experienced, but I do know the rains came 
I do know that the Lord led the animals into the ark. I do know that Noah's family got in that ark, and the flood came, and everyone and everything outside the ark died. You've probably heard other people say this, but it has interested me that that's the, the themes that we often t- paint on our infants' rooms. Like we put the nursery with the mobile of the Noah's Ark. And I think the only reason we can do that, the only reason we do that is because there's a rainbow at the end. Right? That's the only reason that we can look at that with any sense of celebration or joy. Because there's a rainbow at the end of that story. That Noah and his family, God did fulfill his promises. And God continues to fulfill his promises that he made on that day when he set the bow in the heavens. Because as, as, as summer and winter sustain, or summer, spring, uh, winter, all of that still happens. The, the, the earth still bears, uh, the seed still bears fruit. God is still fulfilling his promise. regardless of how people act, regardless of what people say about him or do in front of him. In the same way that he fulfilled Noah's promises to Noah and his family, God fulfills his promises to you and to me. In the same way that he fulfilled his promises to the people of Israel. They knew. It, they had been told, hey, you're going to go into Egypt. You're going to suffer for 400 years. That, that wasn't, it shouldn't have been a surprise to them, although I think it probably was. They cry out to God, and God sends Moses in, and Moses, but by, by God's power, leads them out, and they get into the desert, and they're like, why would you bring us out here? What do you, I mean, we'd be better off if we were still in Egypt. At least we had meat there. At least we had water there. Did you just lead us out here to die? These are the people that just, just a few days after walking across the Red Sea on dry ground, after watching the army that was behind them be drowned in the Red Sea, this is the same people that asked Aaron to build them a, a golden calf so they could have something to worship. And God still fulfilled his promises to them. And they wandered in the desert. They got to where the promised land was, and God said, hey, we're, we're ready to go in. And they send in two spies, and those spies come out, and they say, what? Oh, hey, hey, you know what? Those are, those are some giants over there. It's an amazing land, but it, it seems pretty big. I mean, it's, I don't know if we can handle this, except for two of them, Joshua and Caleb. I don't know if we can do this. He still fulfilled his promises to them. Because eventually they do go in and take the promised land after wandering in the desert for 40 years. But the whole way, what did God do for them? It tells us in Deuteronomy that their shoes never wore out, their clothes never need to be replaced. Wouldn't it be ama- amazing if you could just buy a shirt and it just always be good? Like you, ne- you never got a hole in it or a moth? I, I, I would love that. Like never have to worry about buying new clothes, new shoes. They're just always good. That would be so nice. 40 years they wandered in the desert. They never needed new shoes. They never needed new clothes. He led them by fire in the, in, in the night and a pillar of smoke in the day. When he said, get up and go, they got up and went. When, he, when the cloud came down and rested, they stopped. Every step of the way, fulfilling his promises to them. And I don't know when David wrote this in his life, but God made a promise to him. 
I don't know if David's a king at this point and he's reflecting back to the day that he's a shepherd leading sheep or if he's a shepherd and doesn't even know yet that he's going to be king. But God made a promise. He anointed, he sent Samuel to anoint David king. David's the youngest of a family of plenty of people ahead of him that looked more kingly than he did. He was the runt. He was the youngest. They had to go get him out of the field because he was shepherding sheep. And Samuel anoints him and says, you're going to be king. And everybody's like, what in the world? He became king. And then God promised him that he would establish his throne forever. In the same way that God has fulfilled his promises to David, he is fulfilling his promises for us. We can join David in this confidence, in this, in this comfort that God is always about fulfilling his promises. He's always providing. He's always protecting. He's always ensuring that we are going to get where he called us to or where he is leading us to. Christian, take heart today. Our Lord is the shepherd who is fulfilling his promises to us. Christian, take heart today. The Lord is our shepherd who is ever present with us. Of all of these points that I've made, I, 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 I hesitate to elevate one over the other, but this, I think, is what adds so much meaning to every other one. Because he's not, he's not providing from a distance. It's not like he's sending us something from FedEx or from, from, through UPS or, you know, I don't know, whatever. He's not sending us something from a distance. He's, he's not protecting us from a distance. He's not fulfilling his promises from way away off. He is present at every step of this psalm. He is present in every moment, in every action, in every work. He is ever present with us. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. They will always be there. In the presence of our enemies, in the shadow of death, His goodness and His mercy are there because He's there. We will dwell in His house forever never to be separated we will always belong there i think this makes every other point that comes before it so much more special again i think spurgeon's words were very helpful here if you're going to read any book on the psalms i would just commend to you treasury of david by by spurgeon uh ch spurgeon old british preacher he's got away with words man it's flowery and big and and it's got lots of flourish to it but man it's just so the lord the lord blessed him in his ministry but but let me just share this with you he says the worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imagination if we had no troubles but real troubles we should not have a tenth part of our present sorrows we feel a thousand deaths in fearing one think about that just think about that before we go further i think he's right we got the valley of the shadow of death and we forget God's with us. we got God preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And we're afraid of the enemies. Even though God's the one preparing the table. we got God leading us beside still waters. we got God making us lie down in green pastures. And, and we got this one death that consumes us. And causes us to fear so many other things. We feel a thousand deaths in fearing one. But the psalmist was cured of the disease of fearing. I will fear no evil, not even the evil one himself. I will not dread the last enemy. I will look upon him as a conquered foe, an enemy to destroy, for thou art with me. 
That's old King James. What that really means is, for you are here. Right now. In this place. It's really easy to think about that in terms of sitting in a room where we have control of the environment. Like I was hot before we started, so I turned the air conditioning down a little bit. Nice and cool now. Some of you are thinking, that's cold. I don't know what you're talking about. Like the sun's not beating down on us. We're, we're protected. We, we know, we have general understanding that nobody's going to come in here and disagree with us about who God is and what God's done. It's a pretty comfortable place to do all that. But the exact same thing is true when you walk out that door. When you wake up tomorrow morning, God is with you. And because he is your enemy, is a defeated foe. God is with you. And because he is, death is merely a shadow that you have to pass through. God is with you. And though you don't have the, the American dream, maybe you do. But though you, you, you don't have as much as many people in the world do, or, or though the, you have a lot, none of those things will matter when it comes to the day of your death. But God has been with you. Uh, I'll never forget learning the potency and the... the, the just the power of understanding God's presence with us. And, and it was actually the psalm. I, I, didn't, I, I had read the psalm a number of times. I just didn't, you know, you just something you read until it suddenly becomes real. I was climbing up a mountain in China. I had gone with a group of people. The work that we were doing was we weren't even speaking to people. We were carrying gospel materials. They were in little Ziploc bags. We, ironically, we called them bricks. Uh, when you put enough of them in your backpack, it feels like you're carrying bricks. Our packs were about 70 pounds filled with these gospel materials that we would walk into these villages in the middle of China and we would just place them. We'd put them in baskets. We'd put them on windowsills. We would, we would set them. Um, I, I, the worst, craziest place is one guy stuck some in a pile of manure in a, in a barn knowing that that manure was going to be shoveled out at some point and they'd find that material. I mean, it's in a Ziploc bag, so it wasn't like the material's getting... But, but we, we would walk into these villages in the middle of nowhere, and, and it, it, it's actually kind of surprising because, I mean, when four white folks walk into a village in China where there's no other white folks for miles around, it's amazing. It causes a stir. Like, people come out of their house and want to know what's going on. So we were just trying to, any place where we could stick these things and just keep walking because we didn't want the police, we didn't want to be reported, we didn't want the police to show up and keep us from doing this work. We were just hiking through the mountains doing this work. And I got paired up with, with, uh, with two college students that were, um, well, they were half my age at the time, I, I think, and they were certainly at least three or four times my fitness level. And um, just a, I, was, I was the weak link. And they told us, oh, by the way, we've got the hardest route. There was a, a team of, I think, four or five of us that traveled over, and then we divided up to cover different routes. We've got the hardest route, but we've got to get to this village. This one village is on the top of this mountain. It's, it's isolated. We think if, if, if a church can start here, we just believe that they would be able to begin to thrive before anyone comes in and tries to squelch the work. And, and so the, the, the missionary that we were working with and the underground church really felt like this was a strategic village to get to. So we take off, and there's one other guy, there's four of us all together, there's one other guy, and he was, he was just a few years younger than I was, but this is something he'd been doing all of his life, like it was, he was just, he was, he was a machine, that guy was amazing, he made the college students look like they were out of shape, 
Anyway, we start, and we have walked all day long by the time we get to the biggest ascent we're going to make. And it's only about 2,000 feet, but it's 2,000 feet over what seems like about a half a mile. I mean, it felt like at times we were climbing stairs. It was crazy. It may not have really been that bad, but boy, that's what it felt like. So this is, this is my first trip into China at this point. I, uh, I had been asked, oh, man, are you sure? Oh, man, the Lord's called me to do this. I've got to go. I've got to go do this. And I'm going to tell you on the side of that mountain, I began to question God's wisdom. Did I get this wrong? Did you get it wrong? Like, my, my quads were locking up. I'm carrying this weight, and my quads are locking up to the point that it's, like, drawing my leg up, and I'm having to stop and just roll around on the ground for a little bit to get my leg, leg to extend back out. We ran out of water. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was tough. We, here, this is a crazy thing. It was more than you probably want to know, but it was a crazy. We, we bumped into a guy, a, a Chinese man who lives on the side of this mountain and he's carrying these huge bundles of wood. He's got a, he's got a, a wood beam that's stuck into these two big bundles of wood. They're two big round bundles of wood. I mean, they probably, they, they had to weigh 130, 140 pounds. I, I don't know what they weighed, but all of us tried to pick them up and we were like, and this was a little man. It made us look all weak and and me weakest of all and it comes to a point where i begin to argue with the lord that doesn't work i don't know why i do something like that but they wanted to get to the top of this mountain because we have a schedule to follow we've got to get to the end of this trail that we're going on so that we can meet the other team so that we can get back and get our plane and they wanted to get to the top of this mountain so that we could distribute in this village that day before it got dark so that we could start down the next day and get into, um, into some more villages. And I kept us from it. I mean, I just was, I was dead on my feet. It was, it was all I could do to just keep going. And, and pretty soon, a co- one of the college students that knew the way, he and this guy who were a machine, they just go ahead and they, they keep heading up the mountain. And one of the college students stays back with me. And, and we keep going. It's, it's, it's slow going. But we get to the top and it's dark and there's no way we're going into this village in the dark. There's dogs that aren't pets. They, they don't like people. Uh, they're more guard dogs than anything else. And we're not going into this village in the dark. So we, we walk along the ridge past where the path for the village goes off. We walk along the ridge and we're looking for a place to sleep. And every place, I mean, we're literally on a ridge line. And every place that has an open enough spot to, to get four people in, it has rice paddy. And some of these rice paddies weren't any bigger than this stand I'm standing on but they were covered it was covered everything was green and lush and rice was was already was already coming up and just no place for us to sleep we continue to walk along this and we end up about two miles past it's dark two miles past uh this village we're going into and the trees just kind of open up And it looks like, I mean, we walk in, and we're under flashlights, so we can't see a whole lot around us, but it almost looks like somebody's cut the grass, like you're walking into it. Almost like walking into somebody's yard. All of us out of water, dying of thirst, and we walk in a little further, and again, we're under flashlight. We can't see the whole clearing on top of this mountain. Walking a little further, and there's a mountain 
pond. I won't call it a lake. It wasn't that big, but it was just a large body of water right in the middle of this clearing. And we're shocked. We sit down and we're resting and we start to, to filter water out of the pond. And that's obviously not the best thing to do with still water, just filtering water out of it. But we're, we've got nothing else to do. So we walk into this green pasture, this still water, and we're sitting there and we're like, oh, we've got to eat. Let's, let's, let's try to light a fire. Everything is lush and green. I mean, it was crazy. And, and we're walking around the clearing, the edge of the clearing, looking for anything dead that we can find to, to light a fire with, to cook some food. And <clears throat> We're already astonished. We're already talking about how the Lord is just taking care of us in this moment. And I said, just flippantly i wouldn't be surprised if we find a pile of wood up here and i'm not kidding i didn't get those words out of my mouth it's it's, you can see ah this about it's the the reality of the still astonishes me to, to this day One of, the, one of the college students from across the clearing. I can't see what's over there. What did you just say? I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we find a stack of wood up here waiting for us. You're not going to believe this. We all walk over. There is a stack of wood that has been cut. We're like, what in the world is this doing here? Well, as far as we can see, nothing around us. Two miles back, there's a village down the ridge line and on another peak. How in the world is this here? We didn't feel bad about taking a few sticks and lighting some fire, cooking our dinner. And we stood there on top of that mountain, around that fire, praising God and reading Psalm 23. Because we knew that night beyond any shadow of a doubt that the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Even when I was arguing with him on the side of the mountain, even when I was doubting his call on my life, even when I was wondering, should I just go the other direction? When I threw cliff bars off the side because if I ate another one, I thought I'd vomit. The Lord was with me. And you think, oh man, that's so, that's a cool story. Man, it's emotional. Get to see God provide for you that way. He has provided for every one of us that way. And if you don't believe me, let me point you to Jesus and his cross. Jesus' own words. He takes on the title, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Or for the sheep. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Christian, take heart today. The Lord Jesus is our good shepherd who protects, provides, fulfills promises, and is always ever present with us. Now, I could tell you all kinds of little stories about seeing that happen, but other sister Christian, those stories are mine. The Lord walks with you. 
He is your shepherd. So you won't want. So you will be led. So you will be provided for. He will fulfill his promises to you and to me. And anytime you doubt it, think on Jesus. Let's pray.